0: Welcome to the Woodshop Life Podcast, a bi-weekly podcast focused on the craft of woodworking. My name is Guy of Guy's Woodshop, and I'm joined by Hui Huen, the Alabama woodworker. Say hello, Hui. Hello, Guy. Hello, Hui. And Sean Walker of Simpleco fame. Sean, how are you?
1: Good. How are you and Hui? Doing peachy.
0: Very well. Thank you, Sean. This is turning into a very nice civil podcast. Anyways, this podcast is intended to answer questions from the woodworking community and give you guys some of our perspective on how we get things done in our own shops. And uh, we do have a Patreon account. and Right now we have one level and we're simply asking for a small donation just to try to cover the cost of bringing you this podcast. So please go to patreon.com slash woodshop I'd also like to say hello to some new patrons we have. Mark Royko, Dale Goetz, Ryan Recalton, and uh, we sincerely hope that you guys will give us your support also. So stay, and also stay tuned to the end of the show to hear about what we've got going on in our own shops. Mm-hmm. So let's get right into the questions. We, you're first this
2: question is from Matthew and he says, great podcast guys. I appreciate all the advice you give. I am fairly new to woodworking and I've been building some furniture to start to sell nothing massive, trying to stick to smaller pieces because of experience and size of the shop. I plan to find people in my area around Nashville, Tennessee who appreciate local handmade pieces. But my wife brought up the question of what if I, what do I do if a customer wanted me to ship them the finished product? So my question to you guys is, how do I go about figuring out the process? And is it even worth it? I assume I would pass that shipping cost on to the customer. Would be getting into the custom crate building business then too? Question mark. Thanks for your time. So a couple of things there. He asked a bunch of questions. So the first thing he asked was... How do I go about figuring out this process? Well, it's a little bit of a confusing process. And here's something that I found out. If you actually create your work, and let's say you go to FedEx or Old Dominion or uh, UPS or any of these freight shipping companies, and you say, hey, I've got a box, it's four by four uh, by four, and it's 800 pounds, how much is it going to cost? They're going to come back and they're going to say... $1,000. It's going to be a ridiculous, absurd amount. And the reason is because you are going direct to the freight company and saying, I'm one individual. I'll never do business with you, or I won't be doing business with you that often. Here's this one-time thing that I need to ship across the country, and it's going to be very expensive. They're going to charge you a lot. What you can do is go to a freight broker who has an account with a whole bunch of freight shippers, and they basically will broker your crate for you and give you a much better price for a fee. Here's an example. I had my CNC machine shipped uh, through a, a freight broker. If I went directly to the freight company, it would have been about $1,200 to ship that freight that, that crate. I went through the freight broker and it ended up costing me only $600. Now, that's an eight, a thousand pound crate that was five by five by four and that was $600. So if you go directly to the freight company, you're going to pay up the wazoo. You have to find a freight broker in order to do that. Now, there are white glove services out there, and that's even more expensive. Sometimes it's worth it if the client wants that. For instance, if they they don't want to touch the piece, you want it to be climate controlled, you don't want to crate it at all, you don't want to do any of that work to make sure that when a forklift comes and slams that crate down, you don't have to pad it or anything they take care of all of that for you. It's kind of like uh, like hiring piano movers right when they come in they blanket everything but you pay for that it's expensive and that's a white glove service and you and of course I think I think all of us would would probably assume this is that that cost gets passed on to the customer. And yes uh, to answer your last question, um, you probably would be getting into the custom crate building business as well. Now guy, I know you ran a furniture company business a furniture business for a little bit uh in in a, as a previous, you know, profession. Did you ship anything across, you know, the country? Uh did you even consider that? Would you would you consider that now? And what are the, some of the things cuz I know you were actually even thinking about doing like flat pack furniture, correct?
0: Flat pack, yes. mm mm-hmm. Mhm. As far as shipping my own furniture across country, no, and I wouldn't do it. Mm-hmm. However, not many people know what my actual background is. I worked for many, many years in the distribution business in several different industries. Mm-hmm. And I was also operations managers for some of these companies. In other words, I dealt with all the, all the warehousing, right. the freight, and the shipping. Mm -hmm. You get charged basically by the cube. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. The cube is how much space it takes up in a truck. Right, right. If you've ever heard the term LTL freight, LTL stands for less than truckload. Not many people understand that. So what you're doing is you are renting a part of that 52-foot tractor trailer. Right, right. Weight has something to do with it, but it's mostly the cubes it takes up. Mm-hmm. And you're, you are right, Hui, if you call up like an Old Dominion or a Dayton Freight mm-hmm. or Holland or whoever, they are going to charge you out the wazoo. Yeah. My recommendation is don't go to UPS, go to FedEx Freight. Mm. They will give you a fair shake. You without
2: f- without having to go through a broker, uh,
0: the broker is going to cost you more.
2: Okay, okay.
0: Because g- do you think the broker does it for free?
2: No, 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 no. It, it, okay, okay. Yeah. I just want to make no, sure. No, that no, no. Absolutely not.
0: That naive. No, 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 no. So, <laughs> <laughs> um, I would recommend going to FedEx Freight. If you want to check their price, what I'd recommend is doing something like calling one of the national freight companies like a TNT Holland or Dayton freight or ABF or whoever, and just say, Hey, I got a," and don't ask them, just say, I got a pickup for you. I got mm-hmm. a five by four by, I got a five by four crate that weighs approximately 200 pounds. I need it delivered to whatever, you know, Grove, Illinois. Right. And it's ready to be picked up now, and they'll go, okay, yeah, we'll pick it up. And they say, how much is it? They're not going to tell you twelve hundred dollars. They're going to give you something more like around three or four hundred bucks. We used to ship at one time, and this is why you don't want to go through a a, a freight broker. We used to ship complete in-ground pool kits. You're talking three or four pallets with a couple thousand a couple thousand pounds a piece of equipment on it. We you ship it anywhere in the country. Guess how much it would cost? Two seventy five. Three hundred. Thirty-eight dollars. Thirty-eight dollars. Thirty-eight dollars. We shipped a lot of freight though.
2: Yeah. So you're doing yeah, yeah. Yep.
0: Guess what the freight broker's doing? How much? He's paying he's paying fifty dollars a shipment anywhere okay. in the country. Okay. And he's charging you out the nose for it.
2: Yeah.
0: Stay away from those guys. Okay. That's my recommendation. In answer to the gentleman's question, if you want to build a crate and ship your stuff across country, that's fine. Yeah, you will get into the the crate building business. But just be wary. Don't go to UPS. They're (laughs) crooks. FedEx Freight is very, very good. Uh, But just call them and ask them to pick it up. And then after you get the, the the details, then ask them how much it is. And if it's too much to say, oh, no, don't bother. Well, why? Well, I can get it from this guy and make up some number for a quarter of the price. <laughs> I, I Well, I got another price from this guy for this much. I figured you guys would be less. So, oh, okay. And then, you know, you got to negotiate. Mm-hmm. Don't show your hand. Have you ever shipped anything, Sean?
1: Flat rate, right, USPS. I don't <laughs> <laughs> If it did not fit in one of those boxes, I don't. I don't typically don't ship it. No, I don't get into that game. Um, I did sell a few products uh, that I made, you know, using the CNC machine. Those were all just flat rate, nothing, nothing big at all. So I have no experience in that.
2: You can't flat rate ship a credenza through UPS. They don't
1: do that. <laughs> oh, you, you could <laughs> in pieces. Yeah, that's, why, that's
0: why I want to do the flat pack stuff. Yeah. Because then it's just a a flat rate for the the size of the box. Actually, UPS it as long as it weighs less than, I think it was like 75 pounds. Then you just put a a couple, three boxes and ship it out.
2: Well, cool. I think that answers the question at least the best to our knowledge, at least. Um, Guy, you you offered a lot of really interesting.
0: And I should mention that $38 price was in the 80s and 90s. Yeah. I'm sure the freight has gone oh, up
1: since then. Yeah, with inflation, we're looking at about a couple thousand. <laughs> <laughs> That's so long ago.
0: Yeah, those are the days when you could buy a Corvette for two hundred dollars. So I was sixteen years old then. Yeah, yeah, it was it was a while ago, but no, really. I mean, up into the two thousands, I was shipping stuff up until uh, maybe two thousand seven, two thousand eight, and it was still you know fifty bucks or less. But we shipped a lot. I mean, we had trucks coming in and out every day. Right, right. But uh, yeah, it's cheaper than you think it is. Mm. You just have to know how to deal with the freight companies. So, Sean, you have the next question. All right. This one
1: is uh, from Jeff. And it it says, and I'm going to, well, how to understand the grain and what to look for would be a great topic of conversation for the podcast for beginners like myself. And, you know, this came from a post I made on Instagram where I talked about grain selection and color matching when choosing the pieces for whatever project you're working on. I made a post on there showing some walnut lumber that I picked up for a cabinet that I'm getting ready to start. Um, it's, a new, it's a curved cabinet that's going to have a bent lamination door and stuff, but I'll talk about more about that later. Uh, and so what I like to do is lay the boards out side by side so that I can get a look at, at a couple different things when I'm choosing the grain. Um, and this, I'm going to preface this conversation to say, this is what I do with Walnut for this project. I changed pretty much, you know, my thinking on this, depending on the lumber that I have. But anyway, I'll start with a cut list in my hand you know, and, and I'm going to start to look at the pieces and the parts that uh, are going to be visible on the project. So this is a, a cabinet that's going to be on the wall in the bathroom. So I'm thinking to build the case, I've got the sides. They're probably going to be seen and maybe the bottom shelf or the I guess the bottom of the cabinet. So with all the pieces laid out, I will, you know, I'll find the, the, the parts of the, of the lumber that don't have any, uh, any crazy cathedral grains. I've, I really like the minimal, quiet, straight quarter sawn, rift sawn, whatever you want to call it, grain that I can get with the lumber that I have. Um, now for the pieces that are not going to be seen, and I may use some of the boards that have, you know, cathedral pattern that I don't like, or maybe an imperfection because it's not going to be seen. Um, but you know, I've really changed what I like in grain direction and grain patterns, rather not direction, uh, a lot lately. And I just like the minimal look of straight grain for 90% of the project now, that's not to say that the crotch and cathedral patterns don't look good they do it just you know in my opinion it just depends on the project you know if you're building a big slab table I mean you're not going to be able to avoid that kind of stuff but for a cabinet or a side table or something like that I personally am avoiding that you know when it comes to the door panels and the drawer panels even then I'm not going to go crazy with some big cathedral pattern I'm going to find something that has more of the straight grain but maybe something with a little figure in it just to set it off a little bit, but I don't want competing cathedral patterns on the case cabinet or on the cabinet case, instead of that backwards and the doors and the rails and the styles and the drawer fronts. I just want everything nice and minimal with a little bit of figure on the door, on the panels on the front. Uh, To me, that that makes the most sense that I like that visually better. Uh, Now, the last thing I look for before I pass this off is the color of the lumber that I have on hand. You know, luckily I can get the lumber all the lumber from the same log. So that means when I'm picking my boards, I can make sure that all of the boards are relatively the same tone. Um, now, I will go against what I just said, depending on the finishing plans that I have for the piece. Now, this cabinet's going to be made out of walnut. So I'm actually going to be dyeing it or putting a gel stain on that uh, just to ensure that the not only that the color is even, but we all know that walnut will change over time. It gets lighter in color. It goes from the dark browns to the lighter browns. And, um, and I like to make turns it. orange. Yeah, it really does. And I like to make sure that it's going to stay that dark walnut color. So I'm going to be applying, um, some sort of either a dye or gel stain. I'm not sure yet. I've got a couple to choose from just to make sure that it can make sure the colors are even and that they're going to stay that way. Um, but this is a complex, uh, topic that we can make a whole podcast episode about, but this is just briefly my opinion on what I like when I choose the grain and choose the color of the species. And this being the Walnut cabinet as my example. Uh, but guy, what is your personal preference for choosing your lumber for certain projects?
0: A lot like yours, Sean, there are some things that are, uh, subjective. You mentioned you don't like cathedrals. I think cathedrals have their place. Uh, they don't need to be hidden. So for like, let's say I'm making a door panel a frame and panel door. I want the rails and styles to be straight grain. So I'll either pick a part of the board that has, you know, rift saw and grain, or I'll take an eight quarter board. And this is one of the reasons I buy a lot of eight quarter stock. Cause I can just flip it on its side, make a cut along its length and just pull that off the side of the board. You know what I mean? Uh-huh. And get the, uh, the the, the, the the flat grain there or I shouldn't say the flat song grain but the the straight grain there. I don't want to see anything at all on the rails and styles. What I want what I want the eye to do is to be drawn into the door panel in which case sometimes I do like cathedral. sometimes I do like figure. It really depends on the overall look of the piece and where I'm trying to draw the eye and the lumber you have on hand too and the lumber you have on hand, you know, Is I guess what you have to really decide is what is your focal piece, your focal point on the piece? Where do you want people's eyes to be drawn to first? Mm -hmm. Is it the top? Is it the drawer faces? Is it the doors? Where is it? You don't want to have it too much going on because then it gets too busy. And it, it just too chaotic and your eyes are going everywhere it'd give you a headache after a while
1: yeah
0: so try to pick you know one area that say you know the 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 star of this piece is going to be my door panels in which case you may have something pretty spectacular for the door panels Mm -hmm. or the 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 focal point may be the top Mm -hmm. or like i said drawer fronts maybe it, it all depends on what you're trying to accomplish with the piece. And it's it's very subjective. Some people like the color red more than they like the color blue and vice versa. And, you know, it's there is no right or wrong answer. Mm-hmm. It really is what, if, if the piece is for you, it's really what appeals to you and the people that are going to be using the piece.
2: Right, right. If I can add to that is, like you mentioned, Guy, it's all very subjective in terms of what you, as an individual, as a as a woodworker, like, um, as well as the client that you might be building for the, the the end user. But one thing that I think is very important is that when you're going through and picking out grain selection, is that you're very purposeful for it, right? As opposed to just willy nilly. Uh, putting things. If you know that, hey, I like the way this looks, I've gone and and, sele- and um, tried other orientations of boards for this, say, tabletop or whatever, and this is the best that I have for my budget. Well, then you were very purposeful for it, with it, um, and, and purposeful with, with the budget that you were given. Here's an example. I mean, I have a da- dining table that To be honest, I'm not very fond of the tabletop because there are a couple knots here. There are some inclusions, things that I had to fill with epoxy, but that's the budget that I had. And and with the amount of money that I was able and willing to spend on the project, this was the best grain orientation for the tabletop that I could get. So I felt comfortable enough with it. And also it was a learning experience, but I felt comfortable enough with it. With the budget that I was able to put into it, and I I felt like I was very purposeful in putting it in the orientation that I put it in. One thing that I really am particular about is um, with legs and trying to make uh, legs have that nice uh, uh, grain going from corner to corner of a leg and nice straight grain. And the reason is because I had built a table one time, and you know, I I was using cherry, and you know, cherry kind of the, the wood that I was using kind of twisted here and the grain went this direction and it went the other direction and it was just all over the place and the legs just, they're okay. I don't really particularly like it, but I just can remember after that I was, I watched your, your video guy. And when you um, had gotten that, uh, I think it was a 12 quarter board from Matt Cremona and you were going through <laughs> with a template and saying, you know, uh, I'm going to orient it this way and this way and I'm looking at the end grain and I was like, oh, I wish I had done that when I was choosing legs. smarter than you. Well, you know, you got a lot of more years on me, too. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I mean. Again, wow. just, just like having like a template like that and just kind of looking at end grain or or using some form of like paper, you know, template with a void in it and kind of looking at your board and saying, Okay, well, this is gonna be an apron that's gonna have this curve and this grain here kind of has that little curve there. So I'm gonna right there, I'm gonna plop it right there, mark it out, rough it out, you know, so on and so forth. Uh, that helps out a lot.
0: What I what I think a lot of a lot of guys get Drawn into, I don't know if drawn into is the right term, but they, what, what they do is they got, they got, let's say they get a, a project plan and they say, okay, I need this part, this part, this part, this part, and this part, and then they start laying it out on boards. So I need a eight foot board, at least eight inch wide, and then another eight inch board, at least six, six inches wide and so forth and so on. And then they just are taking the parts out of the boards simply based on getting the highest yield out of the board. Right. One thing you really have to do, and you'll you'll learn this with experience, and I'm sure both you and you know uh, Sean and Hui both have learned this by now. After because you, know, you guys are both pretty experienced, you can't think about yield. It's like I got these boards. And I need to pick the best parts of the board for the parts of my project. And I know there's gonna be some waste. Oh, yeah. Yep. So you buy extra.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: You know, I only needed three boards for this project. Well, I'm buying six. Right. Because I know that a lot of it's gonna end up in my scrap pile, not as throwaway, but just as spare parts. Were because I'm picking the best parts out of these boards I possibly can to fit a certain project piece, and you really have you really have to let go of the whole. It's not a it's not a piece of plywood, right? right. It's solid wood, and you got to learn to just recognize. Every piece is unique. Yeah. Every piece is unique. Yeah. Yeah. So.
1: And it can be very very time consuming.
0: Yeah, you spend a lot of time on it.
1: You you don't have unlimited space. In your house, unless you're rich and have a mansion, build the best looking piece you can when you're building, because you're not, unless you get rid of that piece, you're not going to have another, another chance of building it. So like right now, there's a lot of stuff that I've built and I'm like, dang, I wish I had another chance at building that, but I'm not going to just give the furniture away and I'm not going to throw it away. I've just got to live with it. But I've learned that when you're building a piece for yourself make the best looking piece that you can choose the best looking lumber, spend a little bit more to have extra on hand. You're not going to throw it away and start over. So, you know, do it right the first time. And a good example of choosing the correct grain for legs. And I'm glad we brought that up. I was going to bring this up too. If you look on a post that I made on September 21st of that little cherry side table that I just finished, the legs have figure in it. And it is so distracting now that I've, that I've got it done in a, look at it in my living room, the figure on the legs is so distracting compared to the rest of the table. And that's not where you want people to have their attention, attention drawn to the legs, not on this table, maybe on some tables, but not this table. Mm -hmm. You want them to look at the top, the aprons, and even then mainly the top on this side table, but the legs just draw your eye in because of all of the figure that's in the legs. It looks splotchy. I really didn't see that until I started applying the finish on it, and it really came out. Mm -hmm. But it's just an example of what parts, like Guy said, what part of the project do you want people to to notice? The the rails and styles, the side, the top, or the beautiful cathedral pattern on the the door panel? (laughs) Definitely not legs on a side table. No. Yeah. Right. Cool. Hopefully that helps, Uh, Guy. I think it's off to you.
0: I got a question.
1: Yeah. Oh sweet. I
0: hope. This is from David, and he says, Hi, fellas. I'm a novice woodworker with a question about the use of dowel versus domino joinery. I'm trying to understand all the hate and derision that is thrown towards dowel joinery versus all the love and infatuation with domino joinery. (laughs) It seems to me that they are both loose tenon joinery, and the only real difference is the shape of the loose tenon. That's actually very true. true. <laughs> yeah. So what makes the dowel such a poor man's joint and the domino an heirloom quality joint? If I use dowels with the same approximate surface area as a domino, won't I get the same strength and holding power? Is there something special about the rectangular shape of the domino versus the round shape of the dowel? Thank you, love the podcast, David. And then he's got a PS on here. Something about his daughter wants to be a rocket propulsion engineer. <laughs> so, wait, you rock. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> this guy and Sean are, are a lot more awesome.
2: Though. Oh, that's not what it says, <laughs> but all right. Uh,
0: um, awesome. This is a really good question, David. And you know, the, the love and infatuation with the domino, Let's let's talk about the domino first. Love and infatuation with the domino. There's a lot of love and infatuation with the domino. And I know I'm, I'm, people are going to get mad at me when I say this. There are people that don't know how to do any type of joinery at all, period. All they know how to do is plunge domino. Sure. Mm-hmm. They never learned how to do mortise and tenon joinery. They never had learned how to do any type of joinery. I just bought the easy way of doing things, which is the domino. hmm and I think people are, might get mad at me just because. Oh, I'm an ex. I'm an expert craftsman. I, I, I'm not saying you're not. Well, all I'm saying is that that's the infatuation with domino joinery. It's very, very easy to do. It's point and shoot. Yeah. It does not take a rocket scientist like we <laughs> to use it. Um, as far as you know. The 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 doll joinery not getting love. I've built a lot of stuff with doll joinery. I've got some actual projects on YouTube I've built with doll joinery. Uh, quite a few, actually, I think. Mm -hmm. James Krenov, who's a very famous woodworker, he did a lot of he used Mm -hmm. dolls for everything, man. Strength of a domino versus a doll. You know, versus a biscuit versus a mortise and tenon, there's plenty of YouTube videos out there, and to me, that's all a bunch of hooey, because nobody's going to put 400 pounds of weight on most of the joints of a table right. or a chest of drawers. It's all just it's all well, just in the
1: direction it requires to,
0: break it, to yeah, break it. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's like who really cares? I, I've built stuff. You know, you want to talk about hate and derision, talk about hate and derision. Look at the biscuit. Yeah. I use the biscuit joiner constantly and I've used it for years. i put, i put stuff together with biscuits. I put dining room tables together with biscuits and they're still good today. Yeah. So, you know, who cares if it'll take 400 pounds of weight on a, at a, at a shearing angle. Nobody cares Mm -hmm. as far as the heirloom quality. Don't worry about that because nobody sees the internal joinery anyways. It could be screwed together on the inside and nobody will see it. I mean, who cares what you're really trying to do. It really depends on what you're trying to do. And this is, this is the difference between let's say when I'm at at work at my day job, which is a production shop, or I'm at home building something for my wife, which is more of a hobby shop. So what am I trying to do at work? Well, I'm trying to build this thing to the best of my ability in the least amount of time possible Mm -hmm. because time is money, plain and simple. When I'm at home building something for my wife, I want it to be perfect because she's really good at picking out every little tiny mistake I make (laughs) and never letting me forget about it. And it's also where you really, if you're doing hobby level work, it's really about where you find your enjoyment from. Do you enjoy the joinery process? Do you enjoy the milling process? Do you enjoy the finishing process? What gives you the most pleasure? And a lot of people really like doing joinery work. I know, Hui, you love doing joinery stuff. Yeah. So you spend a lot of time practicing and doing this and that and the other thing. I know I'm getting off subject here. But it's all really relevant to one another. So don't get caught, you know, David, don't get caught up in the whole Dominoes are better than dowels, and dowels are better than this. And mortise and tenon is the one and only way to do things. Don't worry about that at all. If you can, not everybody can afford a domino. Most people can't afford a domino. It's a pricey tool. Mm-hmm. It's a thousand bucks, man. You can buy a really nice doweling jig for under two hundred dollars. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I mean, a really good one. And it'll do everything the domino does. The dolls are actually very strong. They're just as strong, I think, as dominoes are.
1: Mm-hmm. And yeah, I would agree with you on that. Yeah.
0: And it is a matter of uh, glue surface. He's talking about that also, glue yep. surface.
1: Yep. So yep.
0: I'll, I'll turn it over to one of you guys. What, what do you think, Sean?
1: I didn't know there was a lot of hate thrown toward Dow joinery. That's, that, I guess I'm not on the Dow joinery scene anymore, but I had no idea. I've never heard anything like well, that. I don't know
0: if I'd say hate, but there's a lot of.
1: Well, you're not saying that he did.
0: Yeah, I know. I, I don't think he does necessarily. Means I think he's being hyperbolic.
1: Maybe, perhaps, but I think a lot of people like the Domino joinery because of the machine, like you said. Mm-hmm. I mean, I'm just going to repeat what you said. It's just point and shoot. And when it comes to Dow joiner, there's a little more setup involved, unless you. I mean, are there machines? I guess the. Yeah. What Lamello? Do they have a machine? For, for, a dowling machine. Dolo no but M- Maffel. Maffel? Maffel. Yes. Yeah. yeah yeah yes yeah they make a machine that's i think similar in price to one
0: of the domino oh yeah. uh, machines yeah. it's not Japan no, a lot more than the domino oh is it okay <laughs> yeah their dual dollar machine yeah it's a couple grand
1: yeah,
0: it's, 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 it's really it's pricey yeah it's pricey. i didn't know it was
1: that much but I mean I think if you were had if you had a price aside one of those machines that is going to give you the same setup as a domino machine where you can do the dowels with that machine or the domino. I, pff, I wouldn't, I mean, I wouldn't hesitate to use a, uh, the doweling machine at all. And it's going to be just as strong in my opinion. I mean, I've built several projects like guide out of dowels and I like the domino a whole lot better only because I have one of those $15 Harbor Freight doweling jigs that you got to clamp and drill and mm-hmm. this and that. If I had the machine that did the doweling like the domino, I would be all over it. Yeah. As far as Dow's being a poor man's joint, I disagree with that. I mean, there. I, I don't with know, that. man.
0: Because you can make it. You can make a dowling jig.
1: Yeah, true.
0: You know, it's how much does it cost? Well, it doesn't cost anything. It's a scrap of wood, and you drill a hole in it, and you just use that, and you drill holes in the other piece, and that's it, man. There's nothing yeah. to it.
1: Well, I guess what I'm I'm reading is what makes it a poor man's joint and a domino, a domino, a domino heirloom quality. So it's like, I guess I'm thrown off a little bit by that, that sentence, but I would consider them equals. Yeah. As far as the quality of the joint. Maybe he's just getting
0: some bad information to some, from some bad people
1: out there. I don't know where he's reading all this and, but man, if you got a Dowling set up and it works just stick with it. Mm-hmm. Is the domino nice? Yes. You know, I've used both and I'm, I'm a tightwad, but the domino was a nice purchase.
2: Sure is. And guy, you, you mentioned something that was really important that sometimes people will always go to the domino for the expedience acts, uh, aspect of it. You know, it's fast, mm-hmm. right? It's easy yep. to use. It's well-engineered G- good for it. Right. But like you said, there are times where I just, I just want to, Cut a mortise and tenon joint in a different way, and of course it's it's just as strong as a loose tenon. But why am I doing it this way? I'm I'm getting enjoyment out of it, right? And I and I just I just want the experience of doing it that way. And for a lot of folks, the expedience is the enjoyment. You know, the fact that they can produce a lot faster and not have to, you know, spend time at at the bench, you know, and the nostalgia and all the all the peace that you get at the bench and and whatever. Right. So (laughs) I guess I'm making fun of myself there. But but for a lot of folks, you know, the expedience is the enjoyment. And so that's why I think there's a huge lure towards using the domino as much as we have been seeing now in sort of modern times of woodworking. Yeah think that's about all i can add <laughs> uh,
0: yeah i i, like I said I, I i don't really see anything wrong with using any of those joinery methods Absolutely. dolls dominoes biscuits everything has hell i use pocket screws you
2: mm-hmm.
0: want to talk about a malign joint pocket screw i mean i've built entire projects using nothing but pocket screws just because it makes the most sense. When I'm at work, I I, I mean, I'm giving it just a drawing in some cases or a picture, a grainy, crappy-looking picture, and they say, make this. Mm -hmm. And you've got X amount of hours to do it. I look at it, and I go, okay, I'm going to do through mortise and tenons, through wedged mortise and tenons, and this, and I'm going to do that, I'm going to do this, and it's like, oh, I only have 20 hours to build it. Oh, no, that's 20 hours, including sending it to sanding and off to finishing. So I basically got about 12 hours. Domino, that's it. That's it in a nutshell, man. It's just fast. It's just fast. So, all right. I think the question's going back to Hui?
2: Yes, it is to me. Let me go ahead and pull this up. All right, so this question is from Marlon Minks. Outside of my shop, I would like to build a small shed for storing sheet goods. I live in northern Iowa, where it can get pretty cold in the winter. Is there any potential problems with with storing sheet goods outside covered, dry, and then bringing them in prior to using them, letting the temperature come up to my shop's temperature? Would the low humidity cause any harm to structure of the sheets? marlin first off i have no experience doing this personally like what Marlon, what you're what you're mentioning all i can say is that i know that the warehouse where i get my sheet goods they have huge garage doors they're open all the time it's extremely humid here in alabama when it's cold doors are open it's not climate controlled when it's hot no, doors are open not climate controlled and that's where I buy my sheet goods. Um, I have not had an issue with sheet goods sort of bowing or the structural, uh, structural integrity of the sheet goods being uh, diminished. I haven't noticed it. So that's been my experience. So I, I, I would, I would gather to say no, it as so long as it's dry and it's covered, that it's probably fine. But I don't know. Well, d- Guy, do you have a different experience with this? Sean, do you have any different experience? Is there information that I don't know about that maybe Marlin
1: needs to be aware of? Um, Fine Woodworking put out an article on this exact... No, I'm just joking. No, <laughs> I bought my, my plywood from a place exactly like yours. It's in Kentucky. We get you know down to the single digits in the winter and triple digits on some hot days. The place is uh, just a big, 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 big building with the doors open. Just like you, Hui, and and I bring them in my shop, and then I uh, you know sometimes I'll have the mini split going. Mm-hmm. I'm not seeing any issues with that. and I you know, I'm gonna guess that a uh, that's just the norm unless some places are a small shop that sell plywood that air condition the joint or put heat in there. But I would say that's probably pretty normal to have she goods stored, especially big places like that and mm-hmm. a you know controlled environment like that. So nothing to add from my part other than I agree with what you said, We,
0: Guy, prove us wrong. No, I, I, I'm i not going to try to prove anybody wrong, <laughs> yes. or, nor will I try to prove anybody right. Oh. Um, I'm just trying to think what I would do if that's all. I'm just like, okay, if I'm in the same situation because I have to be in that situation, how would I approach it? I think I would put the, the the sheet hoods, you know, make sure they're stacked on top of one another with yeah. a lot of weight on them or mm-hmm. strap them mm-hmm. so they stay flat. That would be my main concern is them staying flat, not necessarily building up moisture, which I think would make them warp. Mm-hmm. That's why I would want to keep them flat. Yeah, does that make sense? Yeah, yeah. And he's mentioning here that it's
2: in it, it gets relatively dry there, so if there's if moisture is the concern but it's relatively dry and you're keeping it flat and strapping it down my guess is that it's probably going to be fine
0: yeah i think it'd be
2: okay i think it'd be all right
1: i would say uh, like my place uh, hardwood specialties in lexington i mean they're a big 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 warehouse and they just keep them stacked up on top of one another
0: yeah it's it's a three-sided warehouse so they can get the 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 tow motor in and out of there Mm-hmm. the forklift to get the in and out of there to get the, the, the sheet goods out. Yep.
1: Yep. And I was in there the other day, actually getting some sheet goods and they were getting some, uh, big lumber, uh, lumber run unloaded, man, they had some nice eight quarter mahogany and stuff. So jealous, but yeah, that's not related to this question.
0: It's so nice to talk about. Yeah. So Sean,
1: I got see. the next one. Yep. This one is from John. He's a, he's a new patron. Nice. Uh, let's see. Thank you, John. Thank you. John. Yeah, we appreciate that. Hello, Master Woodworkers. Ha uh-huh. ha.
0: Yeah. talking to?
1: Probably you. <laughs> Not me. I don't know. It ain't me. Hello, Master Woodworkers. I appreciate all you do on the podcast and can't wait to listen to the next episode. I'm getting ready to make a bunch of small to medium-sized boxes as gifts for family out of walnut and maple. I don't have a spray setup and I don't have the time to learn it this year. I'm looking for a fast and reliable finish for the boxes in a matte to semi-gloss finish. These will be three by five on the small side and eight by 10 on the large. Thanks for all you do and keep the podcast coming, John. Well, uh, shellac is the first thing that comes to mind. And, you know, there are other finishes, but I'm going to let Hui and Guy talk about those. I don't want to take them all from them. But, you know, this is my favorite finishing recipe for a box. And it's something that is not original. I'm sure there are a lot of people that do it. But this is what I settled on for boxes. I start by sanding everything. To 220 or 320, and that depends on how lazy I'm feeling that day, whether or not I stop at 220. <laughs> then I remove the dust using a uh, vac with a brush attachment. Now I'm going to wipe on a one to one and a half pound cut of shellac. And I say one to one and a half because, you know, it just depends on what I have mixed at the time in the cabinet. Uh, either one will work just fine. You may just have to apply an additional coat if you're just using a one pound cut. Uh, if I'm making a box out of cherry, I'm going to go with garnet shellac. Otherwise, I'll stick with a blonde shellac and always de-waxed for myself. Um, I'm going to apply three to four coats, again, depending on the cut that I'm using. And that's going to build up a decent finish for me. And then I'm going to let that set and dry for about a day just to cure a little bit. I know shellac dries quick, but this is just a personal preference. I like to let it set overnight for at least 24 hours. Next, I'm going to take 400 to 600 grit sandpaper lightly sand the surface until the dust nibs are gone. I'm not looking to cut it completely back to apply another coat. I'm just doing a light, light, light sanding to get rid of the dust nibs. Now this will leave an un- uneven sheen. So I finally buffed the box using a four zero steel wool without any sort of wax or wool lube. Uh, now this step is going to give you the consistent sheen of a matte appearance, and it's going to make it extremely soft. Final step is to vacuum the pieces off, and then I'm going to buff it using a cotton cloth and a paste wax of your choosing. And I like the Alfie Shine because it does a good job and it smells really, really good. And after that, I'll buff it off. Um, and then all the steps above, is going to leave you a silky smooth finish that's dust free and it's going to give you a low satin appearance. But the main thing is it's going to be really, really smooth to the touch using these steps. Test it on a practice piece. See what you think. But that's the one finish that I'm going to cover for this. Um, Hui, what is your go-to finish outside of shellac for something like boxes? Well, uh, I've never used
2: it, but I'm wondering if this might be something that he would consider. So he's looking for a fast and reliable finish. Uh, have you, have either of you guys tried the rattle can spray shellac? Yep. What are your thoughts on it? Because I'm wondering if that might be a, a pretty good solution for him. If he's, you know, not willing to, or or he can't invest the time in learning how to spray or, or doesn't have the budget to do like a a spray finish.
0: I think it's fine.
2: Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, if he wants to sort of add a little bit of richness and color, maybe add, uh, maybe a little BLO and naphtha mixed together to uh, just to get a little bit of depth of color or whatever, and then let that dry and maybe just go with a spray can of shellac. I mean, that sounds to me like it'd be pretty fast and reliable. So maybe go that direction. Guy, got anything that you might want to Yeah, you got anything (laughs) other
1: than shellac?
0: (laughs) I finish boxes a couple different ways. The first way is almost exactly what Sean was talking about. But I know, Sean, you like to use a brush for shellac. I don't use a brush. For small pieces, I don't. You know, I use I use a pad. Anyways, yeah. other than that, I do basically the exact same thing Sean does. Sean, Sean just said with shellac, I I have used rattle can shellac quite a few times. Uh, I used the my spray setup, my HVLP to shoot shellac. Another option that I use quite a bit is the rattle can lacquer. Mm, yes. Mm that I I can get from like Home Depot or Lowe's or my local hardware store. It's like $8. It's expensive. It's like $8 a can, but I can get a couple, three boxes out of a can. It dries like really super fast. I can sand it back really quickly. You just put a couple, you know, you put a dry, uh, I don't want to say a dry coat on there, but a very thin, Coat on first, right. Sand back, do that two or three times, and it's a nice finish.
1: Deft makes a good spray spray lacquer. Yeah, mm.
0: yeah. that's so you can get at the big box stores. Yeah. Um, okay. Anyways, that would be my other option. Would be lacquer in a rattle can.
1: Well, I'm going to go and add the additional water-based poly. You can either brush it on or spray it on as well but it's not rattle can can you get rattle can poly yes okay really sure can
2: i didn't know that sure can ha ha yeah i know
1: know. (laughs) go to lowes.com slash pd slash minwax dash polycrylic dash matte dash water dash base dash polyurethane dash actual (laughs) and a bunch (laughs) of other stuff
0: yeah i'll remember that all right i'll send Um, you the bitly
1: link (laughs) <laughs> yeah,
0: thanks. I I didn't I, well, I I didn't know they had that in a in a round can. That's good to know.
1: That is good. Yeah. To know. Yep. Um, That's another option. Yeah. The I've used the spray. The spray shellac um, works great. Wiping, patting it on works great. Um, I think spraying is probably going to cost you a little more, obviously, but it's just so darn easy to spray. You know, I think those yep. options will will work out well for you.
2: Look at that. Spray polycrylic at Lowe's. It is $12. They, not cheap.
1: they sell it at places other than Lowe's too. Yeah, We're not yeah. sponsored by Lowe's. <laughs> no, a,
2: send us a bill. We'll send you a bill. No, Excuse me. Here we go.
1: <laughs> <laughs> Excuse me. <laughs> All right. So who's got the next one? Guy? Guy. Yep.
0: So this question is from Isaac and Isaac asks, are you actually saying, "Hey guys, I know you all have CNCs in your shop. I am about to buy one, and I have about twenty five hundred dollars to purchase one. I have thought about the Shapeoco XXL or the Shaper Origin. I know you all have experience with gantry style CNC machines, but what do you think of the Shaper Origin?" would any of you trade your gantry-style CNC machines for in for the Shaper or Origin if you had the chance, Isaac? This is a good question, Isaac. And for people that don't know what the Shaper or Origin is, <clears throat> excuse me, it's like a handheld router and the router floats inside a base that's actually controlled by a CNC machine. Mm-hmm. And you have to you 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 do your layout and then it spits out these this like a ticker tape Mm -hmm. that's like a a a barcode it's like and you put it on the you put it on the workpiece and then you run the shaper i it's really weird i've seen it used in person and i've seen it used on video and myself i'm not really sold on it, it it's it's it, it does it do 3d stuff or is it strictly 2d I,
2: I don't know about the 3d i would venture to say no i don't think so at least i haven't seen it do that
0: yeah but i'm so not an expert on it, the machine to be it's honest. mostly used to cut pieces out and and If you don't have a lot of room in your shop, I think the Shaper Origin might be a good machine to purchase. But if you have the room, I might recommend a gantry style. I have a Shapo XL myself. Sean, you have a O. Is it the XL or the XXL? XL. XL. So you have the same size one I do. And it's a good machine. I mean, it's a hobbyist level machine. Don't expect run five thousand parts for manufacturing through it because it's not that's not what it's for it's so you can mess around with things it'll do 2d stuff it'll do 3d stuff i've done some pretty impressive stuff with mine i don't know what what are your thoughts on this sean you've had a cnc for for a long time too
1: yeah the shipoko is a great entry-level cnc machine you're going to find that you're not going to get the precision and accuracy that you would get on a higher end machine. But if you're not needing something that is dead nuts, perfect every single time, I mean, it's a great entry-level machine and I'm just going to leave it at that. I mean, if you needed to cut templates out for your project, your furniture, if you needed to make signs, if you needed to make, you know, just things where the precision and accuracy isn't needed, you know, down to the Thousandth or whatever. Yeah, you're it, you're not
0: you're not machining aluminum parts for a piston engine.
1: Correct. You're making yeah. you know signs. You're making you know parts for whatever. I've made um you know like I have the Lee Nelson honing guide. I made a template to to place all of the little blocks. Those came out great. Um, but if I were to go in there and try to make a a combination square or or whatever those woodpecker twelve eighty ones are, you wouldn't be able to come out with something that's dead nuts perfect. I'll just tell you that
0: I wouldn't, I'm not able. What what What? do you think of the shape of origin?
1: I think if you don't have the room for a CNC machine in your shop, that's, I mean, it's, and you're not expecting much from it as far as like the, the 3d stuff that you're saying, if you're looking to cut out templates, if you're looking to cut out pieces, um, I mean, I think it's, it's expensive. If you don't have the room, that's pretty much your,
0: is it expensive? I don't have no idea how much it is. I think it's like
1: twenty five hundred dollars. I mean, yeah. if you have the room, I personally would go a CNC machine. If you don't have the room and you are wanting some sort of automation like that, I mean, that's pretty much your your only option. It's it's you know it'll work great for cutting out pieces. I don't think it's going to do the three D relief milling. Um, on their right. site, it says although changing cut depth between passes is a simple on screen function, Origin is not able to make ramping cuts at this time. Yeah. So. If you're looking to make pockets and cut stuff out, it'll work. Does it, does it say how much it is? $2,500. $2,500.
0: It's 2500 2500 yeah. its 2500 dollars Yeah, well, it. I don't know if people know this, but Shaper Origin, that's owned by Festool. So, of course, it's expensive. Gotcha. <laughs> I'm pretty sure that's the case.
1: It's pretty cool, though, that you can just pack this up and take it with you and do this on site and, you know, you, you don't get that with a CNC machine, obviously. I mean, there's more to it than just being able to cut stuff out. There's a, the portability and a couple of different things you got to look at. What are you going to be using it for? Compare the two. But if you got the room, I personally would, would go CNC machine.
0: Yeah.
2: So I saw someone who I follow use the Shaper or Origin in an interesting way. They were making a huge bar island. It was a very unique shape, and they use the Shaper or Origin basically to cut that out. You would have to have a very, very big CNC machine in order to do that. The Shaper or Origin came in handy in that sort of situation. Now, somewhere, uh, so- something that I would like to add in terms of why I decided to get a gantry style CNC instead of uh, something like the Shaper or Origin, uh, I had a job that I had to do for an aerospace company that required about 29 different pieces. Can you imagine if each of those pieces, I had to lay out that tape and then use the shape or origin, whereas in the instance where I, um, I used my machine, I lay, you know, I had like four by four template on my, uh, on my cam software and I laid out all the individual pieces there. I was done. I put the pieces up, you know, I execute the G code. Not the same thing with the shape or origin. I think there's a little bit more thought that goes, that's involved in terms of laying out that tape. Um, it's not as I easy. This, I
0: don't think the shape or origin was designed to do what you're just talking about. There. Right. It's designed exactly. to cut out shapes of things.
2: No. And, and, and that, and, and that is kind of what I was trying to, <laughs> trying to state as well yeah. is that, you know, you're going to, it, it, it there's there's time in between setup and prep in order to use the shaper or origin not not that there isn't with the gantry style CNC there definitely is but it's just a different animal in terms of what the capabilities of a CNC gantry style CNC can do versus what the shaper or origin mm-hmm. is really sort of designed to do yeah, yeah.
0: so anyway right. well I think that does it for the questions. Is that is that it? That's it. I think this is the part of the the podcast where we talk about what we have going on in our shops. That's right. Is it? Yep. So, what's going on in your shop, Hui?
2: Uh so I just turned a couple of drawer pulls and I also did a little bit of edge treatment on Carcass of a storage bench that I'm working on, as well as shaping some legs. I just got the Lamello top 21. Uh, and I like it a lot. I tried it out and used it for the cross supports on the base assembly of the storage bench. And I will say that 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 machine is, it's built like a tank, man. It's pretty, pretty neat machine. So yeah, that's what I've got going on. That's what I've done this week. Uh, Sean, how about you? What you got going on?
1: I got all of my supplies in shop. I got the walnut and I went, got, uh, MDF three quarter MDF, eighth inch plywood, quarter inch plywood, three quarter inch plywood, Baltic birch. <laughs> and I'm getting ready to start building uh, a wall cabinet. It's going to be a curved front wall cabinet for Oops. my bathroom. It's going to have bent lamination door and drawer. Um, so I've got the MDF for the, the, the form. And then I've got the eighth inch for all of the, uh, the bending pieces for the door and the drawer front. So yeah, I've just got to uh, break the, the MDF are down you, so I can get it out of the way.
0: Are you doing a, well, you said the door is going to be, you know, have a shape to it. Are you doing a, a shaped frame and panel door or just a shaped panel?
1: Just a shaped panel. Okay. So yeah, it's going to be shaped panel. Uh, I'm going to use the same form for the drawer front and the door. So they're going to be the same. Uh, I'm going to use the CNC machine for the templates, for the curves, for the, for the top and the bottom and the middle divider. So yeah, I'm going to be, uh, pulling out the old va- uh, vacuum bag and, and I'm going to use polyurethane glue on this one. I think instead of the urea resin, we'll give that a try and see how that works out for me. But cool. that's, that's what I've got going on. I'm not. I'm not sure yet on the, the if I'm going to use the veneer that I'm going to cut for the drawer front and the door, but I've still uh, I've still got to figure that out. I may end up going with something from uh, some like place like veneer supplies or something like that, but I've just got to get started. I'll have the hardware in. Unfortunately, I thought it was going to be this week, but apparently they're a little slow on that, so it's going to be next week. But yeah, I'm just ready to get back out there and start building stuff, hopefully start on that tomorrow night. What about you, Guy? What do you got going on?
0: I am getting ready to spray my range hood I built this weekend, so there's not going to be anything going on in my shop this coming weekend because I've got to have it set up for spraying. That's just the way it goes. Um, that's about it right now. At work, I got a lot. I got I got about ten different things going on. It always seems that way. You know if there's a little bit of this a little bit of that a little bit of that a little bit of this like today i walk in the door and the the, the shop foreman comes up and says you know can you cut a few tabletops for me i said yeah let me get my you know let me let me punch in and i walk over there and there's a, a stack of 24 tabletops <laughs> it's like yeah that's that's a few tabletops Dang. um you know, it's just it's just stuff like that. You know, um, just a lot of little things here and there. I, I I haven't really started and completed any one project for probably a couple weeks. I've been doing stuff to help other people's projects go along. If that makes sense. Yeah, but that's that's just the you're way a floater. No, it's just I I the the the. I possess a very certain set of skills (laughs) Um, and that's it. You know, there's just some things I, I, I'm the guy in the shop that does this task. So if somebody has got a project that requires this task, I do it for them. You know what I mean? And uh, we did, I did some training with one of the guys. We built a cabinet. It was a basic cabinetry. That's about it. Well, I think that's going to do it for this show. And uh, we would like to thank everyone who left us a five-star review on iTunes. It really does help us in the search rankings. And, of course, we truly appreciate the support and feedback. And please remember this podcast is here to answer questions from you, the woodworking community. So if you have woodworking questions you would like answered, you can send them through the podcast contact page at woodshoplifepodcast.com. Or DM us through Instagram at woodshoplife. And of course, you can find me at guyswoodshop.com. Where can you be found at
1: Sean? Simplecove.com and at Simplecove on all of the socials. We,
0: where can you be found?
2: Alabamawoodworker.com. And links to my social are on my website.
0: All right. Well, that's going to do it. And uh, we'll talk to you guys in a couple of weeks.
2: See talk ya. to you later. Bye. Yep. Bye.